Well, good morning, good morning. Thank you, Pastor Faye. Just amazed, literally, at um, Pastor Faye's testimony in business to uh, 52 years old and then being called of the Lord, going back to college and uh, seminary. I cannot imagine doing that. Wow. And then how the Lord uses her. Met Pastor Jeff in a spiritual awakening conference at the Cove a few months ago. And um, he mentioned his sabbatical. I guess it's his first one in 24 years. Amazing. We saw the little church on the corner, a beautiful, um, historic building. And then we drove in the parking lot. And for some reason, I was told I was sharing in a contemporary service with blue jeans, traditional service with coat, slacks. So here I am, changed clothes and came on over. We, uh, we're just amazed at what the Lord has done, but we shouldn't be amazed, right? Jesus is moving. The last book that we had the privilege of writing is called Jesus Now Awakening. God is up to something big. We sang, I love to tell the story. And of course, if you've been with Billy Graham, you know that's it. Our goal is to win souls. It's all about Jesus, nothing else, not titles, not anything, not position. It's just Jesus. That's, that's who we live for. That's why we live. And that's what our nation needs. Would you agree? Amen. Amen. Mr. Graham is now 99. Um, I started working with him when he was a little bit younger. And he was dying then. He told us he was dying. Didn't feel good. Uh, not going to live long. And I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, most evangelists have lived to be about 70, early 80s. I don't have many years to uh, work with him. He's going to outlive me, I can tell now. <laughs> so at 90, he, he never thought he'd make it, of course, to where he is. But at 95, he decided he was going to make 100. And um, we're celebrating his 100th year this year. And one of the reasons we're doing that is we think he'll make it to 100. But we've organized his funeral in such a way, and uh, for most of us, that will happen. It's called death, common denominator for all men and all women. But we've organized this um, in such a way that, Lord willing, Lord willing, it will be the greatest outreach, the greatest crusade, the greatest soul-winning effort that Billy Graham's ever been involved in. It could be. All the media of the world will be addressed toward uh, the parking lot in front of the library. There'll be a huge tent. We've got it set up in such a way that any photography that's done will have to have the front of the library in it to go out to the world. And literally, the cross on the front of the library is 30 feet tall. You know, ISIS has said they're coming after the people of the cross. Come on. Come on. I've told our folks at the library, anytime you see a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist come in the front door, call me. I'm, I'm, I'm there because they need the Lord. They are into religion and we're into relationship. There's a huge difference, amen? And so this is, a, this is a marvelous thing that God's up to. At 99, you can imagine, I mean, he's got a lot of miles on his body. This, this body's got about six million. He's probably got more. And um, his eyesight's not very good. His hearing's not very good. Uh, but don't kid yourself, he hears you. He'll act like he doesn't, but be careful what you say. And um, his motor coordination's not very good, but his mind is sharp. And his ministry is prayer. 
And Pastor Faye, when I talked about the growth of your church, she said that Pastor Jeff said it's the result of prayer. Prayer is a power we don't even comprehend. It is the work of God, and you see the results of it. In the contemporary service, uh, I asked how many went to 35, quite a few. Quite a few veterans over there as well. We had a veterans breakfast Friday morning at the library. It was the best attended we've ever had. We had to bring in benches. It was like crazy. Uh, General Walker, Brigadier General Walker from the Air Force retired. He's over a lot of the military ministry for Samaritan's Purse, was there and shared. And we have children in the military. Our three children, one older doctor, she and her husband have a practice north of Denver, love the Lord, missions, etc. throughout their practice. But our second child, a daughter, is an Air Force pilot. She's a C-17 command pilot with two more years to go in the reserves. And she starts Delta pilot training, I think on Tuesday of this week. She's just been selected to do that. Was in combat in Desert Storm, did some black ops missions. Proud of her. And then her little brother, who's close to 40, he's a test pilot, academy kid, uh, tested the new stealth fighter, the F-35, and Ralph Mayer, and the other service told me that his son now flies the F-35, the new uh, Joint Strike Fighter. Uh, it's an amazing plane, by the way. For you that uh, are concerned about how much things cost through the government, the helmet that the pilots wear only costs $700,000. But, but they've got it down. They've, they've uh, got some competition now. They've got it down to $350,000. So we're saving money everywhere in government. But, it's literally the most glass plane ever made. So if you're in that plane, everything comes up in the helmet. Two different oculars, navigation, armament. If you look down, you see through the bottom of the plane. You look back, you see through the back of the plane. It's crazy. Nothing like it in the world. So we, we um, applaud the warriors who stand for religious freedom. And we also applaud the warriors who stand for spiritual freedom around our world. And um, Billy Graham is one of those. So I bring you his greetings, Franklin Graham. You may have been keeping up with us. You may have gone to the Capitol uh, just a year ago when we went to all 50 states to the Capitals. And that was something God laid on Franklin's heart. It, it germinated for several years. And then he just said, I don't know how we're going to do this, which means he's not going to tell us how. We're going to figure it out. But we're going to go to all 50 states and call the nation to prayer. Call the nation to live biblically, vote biblically. Call the nation to be engaged in the community outside the church. Politically, yes. In justice, yes. In compassion, yes. And I, we believe, we believe, and others have told us, that as we prayed around the nation, the concentric circles of Holy Spirit that went out interjected, interlocked, and became like a fabric of prayer. And this is what we think has happened from what we've been told here, and we see it. And so what we're doing now so pray with us. We tested it this year, four cities in Tennessee. We just finished seven cities in Texas. Next year, we're going to the secular walls, 18 and 19, 2018, 2019. We're going into the secular wall of the West Coast and the secular wall of the East Coast the next year. Ten cities in California, four cities in Oregon, three cities in Washington State, and then down the East Coast, taking the gospel, calling the nation to prayer, crying out to God, because the Bible does tell us that the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And we want to call this nation back to Jesus. Mr. Graham's continuing when we, when he feels good, we go and video him. And Dr. Don Wilton, his pastor, First Baptist Church Spartanburg, goes up every week 
spends a day with Mr. Graham, and when he feels good, he wants to call the nation back to God. He doesn't just want to preach again. He wants to call the nation to the Lord. And we send a video team, and they shoot what he can do that day on that message. And when you see those messages come out every November, he's still doing them when he feels good. And it's just like burden to call America back to Jesus. We have friends in Nigeria, China. I was over China Ministries for about 10 years and know the heart of the Chinese church. Um, Nigeria, China, Korea. And they, they let us know that they're praying for true spiritual awakening in the United States of America because they say America biblically is the only hope we have left in the world. And if America goes under, then there's no one to lead spiritually. Now, God is, is God. He can lift up any nation, any people, any time, any place, anywhere, any way he wants to. But right now, it does look like those people are right. So much so that right now, for example, the Nigerian pastors and women who've come to America have a solemn assembly that they meet every year, and it's a consistent thing where they're praying. And the women have a 365-day-a-year, 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week conference call that never ends. Their group is called Wailing, W-A-I-L-I-N-G, crying out. Wailing women, and they're praying in every state in America, Nigerian women, for God to move in and through this nation for a true spiritual awakening. So that's what I'd like to share with you this morning. My heart, of course, called to evangelism. Out of medicine, I thought I'd be a wealthy Southern surgeon, retired by now, who shared his faith, but uh, that didn't work out. However, God spoke to me in prayer many, 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 many years ago and said, Tom, what's more important, helping a man or woman have quality of life for 70 years or helping a man or woman have life eternal? And we've been privileged under this man, with this man, Billy Graham and team, to see millions make their commitment to Christ. And now in our nation, we're desperate. We're desperate. Larry King Live was interviewing Billy Graham years ago, and he asked what Mr. Graham thought about his life, and Mr. Graham said, I feel like I've been a failure. <laughs> and Larry King looked at him and said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, We've done all this work, we've seen so many come to Christ, and yet the nation's in worse shape than it's ever been. And if we look at our nation, we're pretty weak. We've got a little bit of a problem with our military strength. We've got a little bit of a problem, though our Wall Street situation is pretty strong. We've got an economic situation, it's called debt, 20 trillion. So every piece of the fabric of society has been weakened by outside forces called the devil, adversary using individuals to work and to kind of pull down America. Karl Marx, the great beginner, great in a negative sense, of communism said this, take away the heritage of a people, take away the heritage of a people, and then they're easily persuaded. So if you look at our educational system, truth versus objective relativism, everything we see brings us down. But let me tell you, in society in the past, God has moved at times when it seems to be the darkest. Because when it is the darkest, light shines. And when light shines, then people see hope and purpose and direction 
and meaning, and they go toward the light. We're working on a new book now called Light, light Messengers, Pinpricks of Light, Pinpoints of Light, Pockets of Light, Passions of Light, Patterns of Light, not because we want them to happen, we see them happening. And if you remember the great old revivalist Charles Finney in the early 1900s, uh, 1800s, sorry, in his latter years when he was president of Oberlin College, he wrote down the seven indicators to know when a movement of God is going to occur in a nation or among a people. And I'll share with you, I won't go into those today, but all seven of those indicators are operative in America. But they're not at a point where the media is going to pick up on them. They're operative at a very low level with people just like me and you. Your church is a good example of a pocket of light from 100 to however many thousand, four or so that you have here committed to Jesus Christ. Well, that's happening all over the nation, and all I try to do is look at it because the library is like a lighthouse, grab the pieces, put them in print so people go, my goodness, look at what God's doing because God is up to something big. Now, let's pray for our nation. If you don't necessarily have your Bibles with you, but let me just share a scripture and a story because one of the great revivals that occurred in our world's history wasn't that long ago, 1947 to 1949, there were a group of men, blue-collar men, on the Hebride Islands off the northwest coast of Scotland, about 20 miles out in the ocean. These men were hard-working, regular guys. They were not the doctors, they were not the pastors, they were not the attorneys, they were not the engineers of the city. They were just regular guys, but they shared their faith. And when they shared their faith, no one cared. And out of the indifference and the failure of their witness verbally, they said, we've got to take this to God because we're not getting anywhere and our nation is moving farther and farther and farther away from God. Does that sound like our nation? A little bit. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God. This is a call to the nation of Israel. This is the same call to the United States of America today. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his ordinances and his statutes and his commandments which I command thee this day, lest when you've eaten and are full, which we've done, and you built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and we live in great homes in America, when your silver and gold are multiplied and the stock market's going crazy right now, when your herds and flocks are multiplied and our industry is still the, one to be emulated around the world. You may think it's China, but it's still us. And when all of that's occurring, the nation of Israel went like this, but it was my hand and the power of my might that got me this wealth. And thou forgot the Lord thy God, who brought you forth out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. And of course, in America, we came to a primitive society, forested, undeveloped, and here we are. And if you go back and look at the great history of our founding fathers and their faith, and by the way, if you want to see a great series of 10-minute snippets, the great Christian historian Bill Federer has put out three little videos called Miracles in History. And there are about 10 or 20 little snippets in each one of them showing how God moved through George Washington, John Adams, John Quincy, and how God was given the glory back in those early days. 
But for some reason, we think we did it today. But it came because of the principles of this book by the power of the Holy Spirit through men and women of God who gave God the glory, who trusted God and God blessed. Key word, blessed. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth, then the Bible says in Deuteronomy 8. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it's he who gives you the power to get wealth. Why? That he might establish his covenant as it is this day. His covenant's right here. He made it with us. He will not break it. We may break it. He will not break it. He's committed to blessing this nation. Same thing happened in the Hebrides Islands. They had turned their back on God. They had walked away from God. History recorded in that village through their pastor, not one single young person in the church. Well, we're not that bad off yet. I saw a lot of young people in the contemporary service. God is at work in America. But we have turned our back on God, and we are weak. And Karl Marx, if he were alive today, would be applauding. But on the other hand, unseen to the media... The movement of God already in the grassroots of this nation is so powerful, whether it's a pinprick by an individual, a pinpoint, which is a person going through life sharing Christ, a pocket of like, like your church or a crusade with Franklin Graham or Will or whoever it might be, passion of light, someone sold out to Jesus, pattern of light, like Decision America Tour. There is so much of this going on that as it surfaces, as it surfaces, it's happening. It's not going to happen. It's happening. It'll just increase. As it surfaces, the media will have to come to the church to know how to write the headlines. So I want to encourage you. I'm God's cheerleader today. It looks bad. The media tells us how bad it is. It is bad, but God's still in charge, and he is up to something big, and it is at work. The earth is the Lord. Psalm 24 was a passage one of these men read after two years of prayer in the barn, every night when they should have been resting on the Hebrides Islands, after they had come home from work, worn out, had a meal with their family, they talked to their family a little bit. About 10 o'clock, they went to a barn all year, two years. Heat of the summer, briskness of the fall, cold of the winter, cool of the spring. They were out there in that barn praying, value prayer, built this church, built this nation praying for their people, their island, their nations. They would always read a passage of scripture. And in 1949, one of the men read Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He, he did make this planet, did he not? We can ignore him. We can say he doesn't exist, but he still made this planet. And he made everybody in this planet. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and they who dwell therein. For he, God, founded it upon the seas. He established it upon the floods. Question then, who, spiritually, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? If he's that powerful, who can get to him? Answer, he or she who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted his or her soul to vanity, pride, nor sworn deceitfully lies, that person shall receive the blessing from God and the righteousness of the God of his or her salvation. And you go, well, that's not me. That's not me. I've got sin in my life. I've got that background. But remember, that's Old Testament. In Luke 19.10, Jesus said, I didn't come to judge you. 
I didn't come to judge you. We're already judged, all of us. We don't have to preach judgment to an unsaved world. We just tell them because we all are judged. Billy Graham, me, we're judged. Jesus said, I didn't come to judge you. I came to set you free. I came to clean your hands and clean your heart, clean your soul, clean your mind. And so as these men read this passage of scripture in a New Testament era, 1949, on the Hebrides Islands off the northwest coast of Scotland one night about 12.30 or 1.30 in the morning, all of a sudden they realized, my goodness, we've been praying for two long years. And let me interject, they're probably the most righteous guys on the island. They weren't the criminals of the island. These men were burdened for souls. Good family men, giving up their time to pray for others, the work of God. And two years later, all of a sudden they go, my goodness, what are my hands like? What is my heart like? What is my tongue like? What is my vanity and pride like? And God convicted them. And that word just means to see, kamwikio, to see as God sees. They saw themselves in the mirror of God Almighty, and they fell on their faces in confession, which means to agree with God. History does not record any great emotional experience that night. They just were convicted. They confessed. They repented. Lord, we're sorry. Look at our own lives, right here, right now, this room, each of us. How are our hands? How's your heart before God, with God? Have you hurt someone with your tongue and have not asked them for forgiveness or asked God? What about your pride? One of the things I've learned about Mr. Graham through the years, how does a farm boy, people ask me, who's 14 years old, shoveling hay one morning while a bunch of men are praying at the farm and they're praying for the upcoming event with Mordecai Ham two years later, 1934. This is a prayer meeting in 1932. And Mr. Graham's father was concerned about Billy's uh, ADD. He was kind of like, go get it. And they're wondering if he had ever really settled down in Jesus. So they prayed for Billy's salvation that morning intentionally. And then the man who started CBMC was then called Carolina Men's Bible Study Committee, he prayed intentionally that in the event, the evangelistic event coming up when Mordecai Ham would then come in a couple of years later, that God, God, that God would raise up a young man from Charlotte, North Carolina, who would take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Power of intentional prayer. Two years later, Billy Graham came to Christ, and who would have ever dreamed that that young 14-year-old farm boy at that very moment shoveling hay, pitchforking hay, into the cows, not too far away from them in the dairy barn, who wasn't even interested in spiritual things at the moment, would have both of those prayers answered in his own life. Power of prayer. So these men are out there in that barn, and they're just praying the power of prayer. And they're intentionally praying, Lord, save our people one at a time. Save our young people. Save this nation. Someone once said, we'll see revival when a few, we'll see revival, true spiritual awakening, not an evangelistic campaign that we can organize. We'll see God move when a few, God doesn't need a majority. We'll see revival when a few people, that's me and you, as inadequate as we are, 
when a few people get totally right with God. We'll see revival when a few people get totally right with God. Someone also said, you, if no one else, can be a walking revival. Am I righteous in myself? No. Am I righteous in Jesus? Yes. Am I a failure in myself? Yes. Am I victorious in Jesus, though? Yes. And so it's all about him. So Billy Graham, this guy that I've been working with, it's been un unbelievable to me when people say, how did he become what he's become? To say the key word is humility. After Jesus, the key word is humility. Billy Graham has every flaw you and I have to some degree. But by faith, he's given those to Christ so that his vessel from the throne to planet Earth, his aqueduct, his conduit, is literally cleaned of Billy Graham so that the gospel can flow through unhindered. It's not about Billy Graham. He's so embarrassed about the name. He didn't even want the library built. We had to go over and over, finally could convince him that if we could win souls there, would he let us at least try? And 30,000 have come to Christ in right at 10 years now in that, in that box because of the gospel. It's the gospel. So here we are in America today with the forces of the adversary digging away at the very stripe of our heritage and our foundation. How did that happen? Long period of time. 1954, the Johnson Amendment shut the mouth of the church. 1962, we took the prayer out of the school. 1963, we took the Bible out of the school. 1971, no-fault divorce, first attack on marriage. 1973, Roe versus Wade, major attack on life. Early 1980s, take the Ten Commandments out of the governmental buildings. Attack for over 60 years, and now we're going, my goodness, what do we do? It sounds like it's too late. It sounds like it's too late. But remember, light shows up best in the darkness. But Tom... Our Congress is like a 14, 17% approval rating. We're looking to them for help. We are. <laughs> we love them. They're great statesmen and stateswomen, and we appreciate them very, very much. Alexander de Tocqueville was a tremendous man who came in the early 1800s from France to America to find out why the revolution in America ended up so good, so well, and the revolution in France ended up so poorly with constant crises, bloodshed, and one constant king dictator after another. He wrote a book called Democracy in America, and in that he said this. When I came to America, I saw politics and religion hand in hand. Even those who didn't have a personal faith had an understanding of religion and politics and religion went together. In France, politics and faith split, and we ended up in turmoil and crisis. We're seeing that split beginning in America today. We could end up in turmoil and crisis even more. But remember, God is up to something big. And Alexander de Tocqueville said this, I sought for the greatness of America in its harbors, in its industry, in its educational system, in its democracy, but I found it not, I found it not until I went into its churches and heard its pulpits aflame with truth, with a capital T. 
America is good, America's great because America is good. If America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Those last two sentences I've heard quoted by many politicians. America is great because America is good. If America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. But they never say those early statements. But I found it not. The greatness of America, I found it not until I went into its churches and heard its pulpits aflame with truth. Changes society one person at a time. So lastly, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 3 because Psalm 24 is the spiritual ascension to the hill of the Lord, but Exodus chapter 3 is actually the physical ascension to the hill of the Lord, and your namesake is from that chapter, this church. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, and the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the west side of back of the desert and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. Here we are. We're on the mountain of God today. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, but the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, curiosity, so Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burning. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Now, folks, listen. I, I believe this is God's word. I believe it's true. If I had my sheep going up the mountain of God, probably the same path I've carried my sheep on many times to green pastures, and I saw a tree, a bush burning, I would be curious. If I looked at that bush and the leaves were not crackling and there was no smoke and there was no ember falling off and the bark wasn't curling back, I would be doubly curious. And I would head over toward that bush to see what's happening. But let me tell you something. If that bush had spoken to me, I would have been gone. <laughs> I would have left my sheep. I would have said, come on, sheep. And I would have put my sandals down the trail. I would have headed away from that bush as fast as I could have gone. But Moses understood something that I probably would not have. He heard God. And God called to him out of the midst of his manifestation and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses responded, here I am. And in our nation today, God is calling us out of his manifestation. He's calling us to prayer. He's calling us to build churches. He's calling us to work in Harvey and Irma and Las Vegas and New York City and the Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico and Mexico City. And you know what? We're doing it. This movement of God that's underway is amazing. One of my friends is a Jewish completed Jew. His mom is completed Jew. She was in Houston, Texas. Her apartment, her condominium was flooded all the way to the roof. She was in the second floor in a friend's condominium, 95 years old, 95. <laughs> vital, vital lady. And finally some men came and got her in a boat. She loved it because they, these men, she said they picked me up and held me. She's 95. Put her in the boat. And she called her son afterwards and said, these were all Christians. He said, Mom, how do you know? And she said, well, they were all yelling at each other. God bless you. Which church do you go to? The manifestation of God Almighty and compassion and justice and love 
People tell us we don't like each other of other colors. No, we love each other. We actually love color. We love variety. God is at work in ways we've never seen. And as this surfaces, the media, 92% do not believe in God. The media will have to come to the church to know how to write the headlines. And that's happened before in Great Awakenings. And so these men in the barn that night, when they convicted, confessed, repented, they topped the hill going back into the village around 12.30 or 1.30 that night, every light in the village was on. And the people were gathered at the police station because when a few people got totally right with God, the Holy Spirit flowed through those vessels into the lives of the others, convicted them in their beds, same people that had been indifferent, same people that had heard the gospel, same people that said no, were now gathered at the police station. And when the men got down there, they were saying, tell us how to know Christ. And Moses is walking up the mountain of God physically, and God says, come here. And Moses says, okay. And God says, stop. Don't come any closer. But God, you told me to come here. And God said, but you can't. Because the ground on which you're standing, Moses, is holy. It's where I am. You've got sandals on your feet, and you must remove them because nothing comes between my holy ground and my holy child, nothing, nothing. So Moses removed his sandal, and God would let him approach the manifestation of his spirit. What's the sandal? How, how are your hands? How's your heart before God? How's your tongue? Have you hurt anyone? Make it right. It's called conviction, confession, repentance. Turning not just from sin, but turning to Jesus. How's your vanity? How's your pride? You see, folks, God's up to something big. Its name is Jesus. You're part of it right here. You're a pocket of light. Some of you I've met are passions of light. And all around the nation, God's putting these pinpricks, pinpoints, pockets, passions together. And that's fashioning a tapestry of prayer that is a renewal of the church, restoration of the church, a reset of the kingdom of God, a revival of his people. And when that is lifted up, because more and more and more by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is a net that will bring in more souls into the kingdom It'll be the greatest, it is the greatest revival in the history of the Christian church. And Billy Graham's prayer still is, I'm praying for an old-fashioned Holy Ghost, heaven-sent revival that will sweep America from coast to coast. I want, I'd like to encourage you, from our vantage point, with our periscope looking out of the library and out of the Billy Graham team around the world, it's underway. Thank you for being a part of it. And if you want to be the best you can be in it, then... Let your vessel be cleansed by God. Move out of the way so he can use you. Paul said to Timothy, If you therefore, Timothy, purge yourself of sin. It was a list of sin above it. If you therefore purge yourself of these, you will be, not might be, could be, should be. You will be a vessel unto honor, sanctified or holy, 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 fit for the master's use, prepared unto every good work promise of God. So as you're going into your business each week, Pastor Jeff can't go there. Pastor Faye can't go there. Pastor Drew can't go there. Guess who God has put there as an ambassador for him? You. 
your school, you, your family, you. And he doesn't need me. He needs a vessel through whom his love can flow. So by faith, we die to self and say, God, I give you my hands. I give you my heart by faith. I give you my tongue. It means I have to say I'm sorry sometimes, right? That way, this way. I give you my pride. Oh God, I cry out to you. And the Bible says God hears the cries of his people. And this movement is underway. Now, Lord, you're doing this. It's not something BGEA can organize. Duncan Campbell was called from England to lead this great revival in the Hebride Islands. He was the great billogram of the day. He said, I can't come. Unbeknownst to those seven men, there were two women, 80 and 82, in a neighboring village, never married, sisters. One was blind. The other was broken with arthritis. They had been praying the same prayer. And when Duncan Campbell telegraphed back and said, I can't come, those two ladies stepped up and said, we've been praying too. God told us he will be here in a fortnight, two weeks. A week later, he telegraphed and said, I'll be there. Long story short, you can Google it. Two years he was there. He said, I came for two. You can hear him say it on Google. I came for two weeks. I stayed for two years. No man, no woman could have organized what God did. That's happening in this country right now. And we can be a part of it right now if our hearts are clean. But Tom, I'm such a sinner. Well, I am too. I'm so inadequate. <laughs> well, I am too. But by faith, faith's powerful. Substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By faith, God, I give you my hands. I give you my heart. I give you my tongue. I give you my pride. Now it's up to you. Let's pray. Father, we trust you. Bless this nation. Bring us back to you. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it's he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant as it is this day. Daddy, in each of our lives, Lord and Savior, in each of our lives, God Almighty, in each of our lives, establish your covenant of conviction, confession, forgiveness, love, death to sin, life eternal. But begin it right now. Do more with us than we can ask or think. Make us conscious this week that you're in us and can flow through us in love to every person we touch and meet. And let us be intentional in our prayer and intentional in our lives that you can take an inadequate farm boy from Mississippi like me, an inadequate dairy boy from North Carolina like Billy Graham or whomever else is in this room, and you can do your work. We pray that in believing that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.